0: Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.
1: What's up, Chicago? I'm Aaron Allen, and this is The Rundown. I think the contrast in candidates has never been clearer. Look, I've lived the failures of politics of old, there's no bigger priority than public safety, but I'm confident you all that we can build a better, stronger, safer Chicago and we can do it together. So we have a choice to make next Tuesday about who we want to run the city, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson or former CEO of Chicago Public Schools, Paul Vallis. The two candidates have very different backgrounds and very different visions for the city, but you might be surprised by who they really are what exactly makes them different, and even more so, what they have in common. Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg are city politics and government reporters here at WBEZ. They've both looked under the hood, so to speak, on each of the candidates, talking with their family and friends, and from that, they created profiles on Johnson and Vallis. I'm talking to Tessa and Mariah today about what they found out, starting with Mariah's profile on Paul Vallis.
2: So, Paul Vallis kind of grew up as a really shy child in Roseland and then the south suburbs of Palos Heights. And... He was shy because he had a pretty severe stutter and stammer which you can kind of still hear sometimes when you listen to him speak. As an adult he stuttered into his 40s. He says it took him a lot to kind of get over. Um you know he he was the victim of a lot of bullying so he he says he's kind of like kept quiet to avoid, you know, the bullying. He also had siblings um who he would play with and who he had a really like tight knit relationship with and um, as an adult, I mean, you kind of see a completely different person. Paul Vallis is known for being very long winded, talking on and on about his policy <laughs> ideas. Um, so he's kind of like making up for the word count that <laughs> oh, I from his childhood. Yeah. Um, and he's he's a very dominant person. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's pretty different from, I think, how he was as a child, according to people around him.
1: Yeah. And you had talked to his brother um, a lot for this for this story. And I wonder what what did his brother tell you about when that change really happened?
2: So it kind of happened when Paul Vallis left the family restaurant business in Alsip, Illinois, his dad. That's why the family moved from the city's Southside Roseland neighborhood to ALSIP when his dad, you know, bought a restaurant and his siblings would kind of work in the restaurant and Paul Vallis decided like he, it wasn't for him a career in the restaurant business. And so he went to Moraine Valley Community College because his grades weren't good enough to get into like a larger state school, he said. Hmm. So he went to a community college for a little bit and then he transferred to Western Illinois University where, you know, he kind of says that his mom would always say this thing to him where like... His biggest problem is the fact that he doesn't work hard enough um, for himself. And so, he, you know, kind of telling him that he stands in his own way of his success. Wow. And I think he kind of, he says he took that to heart, you know, when he got to WIU, kind of sick of, like, being this tall, lanky guy with acne. So he starts, like going to the weight room all the time and lifting and studying. This is the story, you know, that 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 his brother and him tell. So okay. as far as, as we can know, and, and kind of comes out transformed, um, you know, really good grades, apparently, and, you know, a bachelor's and a master's degree in political science and starts to kind of, like, build confidence in himself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sounds like he really bloomed as a young adult. Yeah. Um, Tessa, I know... There's some really interesting pieces of Brandon Johnson's um, kind of background story that surprised you. Can you can you tell me some of the things that really stuck out?
0: Yeah. Um. So Brandon talks a lot about on the campaign trail. Of, you know, growing up in this large family, there was ten kids in this, um, you know, home in Elgin, where he jokes he, you know, learned his negotiating skills by, you know being in a house with just one bathroom. Um, <laughs> so we knew a little bit of his origin story, but it was really interesting hearing, you know, people like his sister um, or those who just knew him well talk about, um, you know, him growing up and how much growing up in the church was a major part of his childhood. Um, you know, I knew his, you know, dad had been a pastor, but I didn't realize until hearing from people like his sister just how much like that was their their every day. Um, here's his sister, his younger sister, Andrea Johnson-Williams, talking about how they would start their day.
1: The high schoolers had to get on the bus maybe like 5.30, so everybody had to get up. And we all marched downstairs, and we we started our morning every single morning with prayer.
0: Wow. And so that was, you know, just in their, their daily kind of experience that they, they made time for their faith. Um, you know, Brandon eventually went on to be like a youth group leader at his church, and his sister talks about how everyone kind of thought, you know, he was the— the one who was going to go on and lead the family's church and that that was going to be kind of his path and his destiny, um, but that he really, you know, found this this other path that he was going to go down on instead and that he's kind of been committed to this path of public service. And um, it was also interesting. I think a lot of people know about, you know, his time at the CTU and being a teacher, but he kind of had a winding path to get there and he didn't start teaching until his 30s. So it was really interesting to learn more about, you know, some of that time was spent Him and his wife, when they were younger, was traveling across the globe um, to Africa, South America, and he really talks about how those travels, you know, influenced his teaching later on and how he would incorporate what he saw into his lessons. Um, But, you know, when asked if, you know, some people have described his missionary work, when asked, you know, if that was missionary work, he really pushes back on that characterization and says – you know, that's not what it was. They weren't going around trying to westernize anyone and talks about much more in terms of, um, you know, kind of liberation and understanding, you know, black people's experiences across the globe and, mm. you know, what still connected them. So More diaspora
1: focus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah making that connection. Mm-hmm. Now that you've done this feature, you know about some of his faith background and how he grew up. Can you see how it shows itself in his work and, and how he presents now? Yeah, I definitely think where I think I've seen it come out
0: the most is on the debate stage, where it, you know, very much feels, I feel like Vallis and Johnson are very contrasting styles with how they are in these forums. Mm. Um, And Johnson, it feels sometimes like he's, you know, a preacher or a pastor on the stage. and. Um, you know, he really interacts with the audience. And at one, you know, forum even recently, um, you know, it was kind of, he was saying, you know, I'm the son of a pastor. Y'all know what the truth does. And the crowd, you know, murmured like sets you free. And it felt almost wow. kind of like you were, you know, in a church. And so um, I think that's where I've seen it the most of just the way and the presence he has on stage. It you I think that his time growing up in the church really shows with just his presence there.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, interesting. The two candidates, um, they seem so much at odds, but you know, I think they both do have that kind of relatability. I mean, there's there's Brandon Johnson with all this organize, organizing, and then there's Paul Vallis giving out his phone number and telling people like, "Text me." Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's it's can be hard to see sometimes, but they do have some parallels. Um, Tessa, staying on on Johnson, were you able to gather when he knew when he knew he wanted to move forward with a role in politics?
0: Yeah, so I do think you know he from talking with his sister, you know, he kind of moved away from the church at a young age, knowing he wanted to pursue other things. But he had um, he taught at Jenner um, Elementary. That was his first teaching job. And one of his former colleagues there, who was a math teacher, who he worked closely with, um, you know, recounts this story of after he had left Jenner, he was at his second school teaching. And he had only been there, you know, for a short time. And they're walking through the, the Taste of Chicago Festival and, you know, the downtown skyline in the background. And You know, she says this kind of memory is kind of seared into her brain of him um, telling her he was thinking about leaving teaching to join the Chicago Teachers Union. And that he was really torn about it because he loves Mm -hmm. teaching so much, but that he thought it would be, you know, a way to to do more. But she also says that's when he kind of brought up and, you know, that it could kind of be a stepping stone for greater political aims. And so for her, it was really this, you know, pivotal moment. She said it really encapsulates who he is about – having this kind of plan for his future. And that was a kind of inflection point where moving from teaching to the union, he could see how that could maybe lead to other things down the line.
1: Yeah. Mariah, with with Paul Vallis, um, we as people who live in Illinois have been more privy to <laughs> Vallis's um, political leanings and, and the way that he's really wanted to set up his leadership politically. He's failed a few times until he won. And I wonder if you can see that as a parallel between his transition as a youngster.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a main characteristic of Paul Vallis is that he's he is tenacious and has tried at different um, levels of his career. He's gone from leading schools in Chicago to Philadelphia to Louisiana, Um, depending on who you ask. Some some people see those stops as failures, but he then traveled to Chile, to Haiti to work on school districts there all the while you know making stops trying to um win political office in Illinois and get back home he ran for governor in 2002 and lost by 2 percentage points in the primary he thought about a run for cook county commissioner in 2009 and then also ran for lieutenant governor uh in 2014 and so i do think he he is a person who is not discouraged by by failure
1: yeah a through line that I'm noticing here is that they're both, both of the candidates are pretty action oriented. Again, they're doing it in different ways, um, but they're still really taking action toward things that, that they've committed themselves to. Um, Mariah, can you talk about Vallis and how he started to get this persona as a problem solver?
2: Yeah, for sure. So that really started with his time at Chicago public schools Um he was kind of brought in by Richard M. Daly to, you know, turn around this struggling district. And Vallis, I think, really saw that as... You know, a challenge that he could apply himself to. And he made rapid top-down changes in Chicago, including opening the city's first charter schools. He's a big believer in the idea that if your neighborhood school isn't good enough, you should be able to go somewhere else. Now, many people, public school advocates, argue that worsens the problem because then you, you're you pulling resources from those neighborhood schools and not really giving them a chance to survive. But, you know, he starts to develop this reputation as, like, the Mr. Fix-It of school districts. And he's brought into Philadelphia Mm -hmm. to do the same thing. Um, And Louisiana, uh, you know, he left the Philadelphia school district with a bit of a deficit. Um, The New Orleans school district, the majority of their schools are publicly funded, privately run charter schools. And so, you know, I think his – record is questionable in in some of those districts but he he is you know many people close to him talk about him as this like big problem solver you know he's not he's not afraid to take on the biggest task in the room i mean his first run for political office was for the state's highest office in the governor's <laughs> yeah. run and so you know his communications director at the time alderman Brendan Riley who's now supporting him kind of said, like, that was a task like in the deep end of the political spectrum yeah. that he didn't have a lot of swimming lessons for, but he kind of just goes for these things for better or worse. And sometimes that's caused him to be a fish out of water if we continue with the – I guess there were a lot of water metaphors <laughs> in my story. Um, to bring it full circle, that's kind of like how he got this reputation as this, you know, fixer of, of school districts for better or worse.
1: Yeah. Both candidates also have had these leadership roles um, within education in the city. <laughs> um, again, taking different approaches, um, but but still doing this leadership. Johnson, um, as you said, head of the Teachers Union, also a middle school teacher, worked with his youth group at church, um, Vallis being the head of CPS. Tessa, can you talk about Johnson's approach to education? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he
0: differs, you know, very widely from Vallis. Um, you know, Johnson, I think, talks about education similar to how he talks about issues like public safety of, you know, to support our students. We need to be supporting, you know, our parents. We need to be supporting our neighborhoods. Um, you know, if you go to his education plan on his website, he talks about, you know, making sure childcare is accessible. And so I think he really talks about it in this holistic way. Um, but it was also interesting doing, you know, this profile and talking to people who knew him. You know, he also talks about his own teachers who helped inspire him and have this, you know, love mm. of making, you know, topics like social studies jump off the page and come alive. Um, and I actually got to speak with his high school economics teacher who, you know, even though he you know, taught for decades and had hundreds of students, that Johnson was really one of those that stood out of just you could see him. He said in class, you know, come, you know, come alive when you talk about maybe some of these kind of boring subjects yeah. that others eyes are glazing over. Yeah.
1: Vallis is running on this tough on crime platform. Crime is not really present in much of the profiling that I saw you do in much of what I heard before now about about Paul Vallis. Do you know where this came from for him?
2: Yeah, well, I, you know, Paul Vallis talks about how he comes from a family of public, you know, first responders. His wife is, was a suburban police officer for a while Um he also, when you look at his resume, it, it doesn't have to do with crime and public safety. I think Vallis also saw, potentially saw an opportunity in this mayor's race to really focus, you know, get a laser focus on that issue as a way to galvanize voters. Um, and, you know, seeing that crime is a major issue in Chicago, it's it's something that he, he has decided he wants to focus on. Um, but really, the only resume point on public safety On Paul Vallis's resume is is that he came in as a contractor and helped negotiate the contract between the Fraternal Order of Police, Chicago's largest police union, and the city in 2021. And he Mm. kind of, you know, Hmm. refers back to that when you ask him why he was willing to accept the FOP endorsement, you know, the endorsement from a group with a very controversial leader, um... And he kind of talks about his his ability to kind of broker that deal between the FOP and the city when relationship the relationship between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and rank and file police officers
1: was not good. Yeah. You know, I think this may be a part of a lot of the criticism Paul Vallis gets. He he says that he's a Democrat. He's running as a Democrat. But a lot of folks that call him a Republican are giving him, you know, he's like to them, you know, to some people giving very Republican vibes. Um, This is kind of complicated, but I wonder if you could talk about how he's existed across party lines up until now.
2: Sure. So, you know, yes, Paul Vallis claims he's a lifelong Democrat. His brother, Dean Vallis, told us that they never knew the political affiliation of their parents. Um, Like politics was not, you know, a partisan conversation in their household, according to his brother. Uh, And Dean Vallis, his brother, also says that Paul Vallis is very Policy-oriented person, um, how you know when he was a policy advisor for the state senate in the '80s, he would you know walk across the aisle to kind of talk about policy for an Iowa farmer, and then go and talk to a back of the yards legislator and talk about you know policy in this within the city that would that would help their district, and so kind of just like has always been able to work across party lines, according to his brother. um, It's really in like 2009, 2010, you know, is is when he kind of goes on the record saying that he sees himself as more of a Republican. He wants to run as a Republican Mm -hmm. um, for Cook County board president. Um, He explains that today by saying he saw the Republican Party ticket as the only lane in because of a stronghold that he felt the Stroger family had on the board president seat at the time, although Stroger would be like handily defeated by Cook County board president, Tony Preckwinkle that year anyways. Um, but he kind of talks about how he saw the Republican ticket as, as his only lane one back into Chicago because he was working, um, I believe in new Orleans at the time. And then two, you know, as a foot in the door to Mm. Illinois politics, which he had been trying to kind of get a win in. And so, Many people are circulating this this television interview where he talks about how he's more of a Republican than a Democrat, about how he personally opposes abortion, though he says, you know, in that interview, too, that he's pro-choice. So I think that's kind of where his first public flirtation with the Republican Party comes on mm-hmm. board. There's been, you know, several things circulated since of him kind of playing both sides of the coin boosting Republican talking points um, while also running as a Democratic politician on multiple tickets in his life.
1: Tessa, you know, for for Johnson's part, um, a consistent concern about him has been whether or not he will be able to push back on the Chicago Teachers Union if needed. It's a powerful union um, and a lot of people are concerned or whether or not he'll be able to, you know, separate himself from all that affiliation and endorsement that he's had um, for this for this election. Um, what have you been hearing from folks about this issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know,
0: Johnson himself has really been, you know, vague when asked, what's one area that you disagree with the union on? Um, he's kind of avoided singling one out. Um, I think, you know, he's really focused in on Vallis's uh, endorsement from the FOP. And I think people have viewed this as kind of almost, you know, the, the election of the dueling like unions, perhaps. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I, I mean, I do think, you know, the CTU they've endorsed him they poured you know millions of dollars into his campaign you know they've been essential to his bid for Cook County commissioner as well for elected office and they've really kind of been the this political force behind him um in his career as an official i mean he did say though when pressed you know uh on another debate about his ties to the CTU he basically said you know once i'm in the mayor's office maybe there'll be times you know within these negotiations that you know, we won't be able to give the CTU everything they're asking for in terms of resources. And he kind of framed it as who better to give um, bad news to friends than a friend, which I think kind of speaks a lot to, you know, how he views himself in relation to the union as an ally, as a friend. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's going to be one of those things we'll have to see if he's elected, how he kind of navigates that relationship. But it's definitely something he's been pressed on um, at a lot of debates by his opponent, who's called him you know, a wholly owned subsidiary of the union. Um so Ooh. I think we'll have to see yeah how he actually navigates that relationship once elected. He has said though that if elected he will no longer be a dues paying member
1: of the union and okay. so has tried to, you know, draw some lines that way. I can speak for myself. I know that personally as a young voter, um I was I was voting a lot more on temperament um uh, than than anything and I think a lot of people, you know, depending on who they are still vote that way. Um if they are voting mostly on issues, temperament definitely factors in. Tessa, can you talk about how would you describe Johnson's temperament?
0: You know, that's a good question. I feel like it was almost hard to pin down sometimes because so many people talk about him as being this – kind of vessel of people's, you know, desires and concerns and him channeling that, yeah. uh, you know, to in his public service. So sometimes it was hard to know, well, who is he, you know, beyond that? Um, but I think sometimes, you know, his time as a teacher, I think, was really evident of, you know, how he kind of made lives his values. One of his former colleagues talked about, um, you know, he would call all of his students Mr. or Miss and their last name as a sign of respect. Most teachers would not come to school every day in a suit. He wore a suit every single day, and when he coached the boys' basketball team, um, he had them wear uh, button-up collared shirts and ties. And a lot of the students necessarily didn't have that. And so he, you know, the, his former colleague recounts him corralling friends to get extras, and he would bring them, and they talked uh, for the students, and they they talked about how it was such a game changer for students mm. to feel like they were, you know, part of a team together. And that, you know, having kind of this different mentality when they went into their game days. Um, but, yeah, I think those were some of the instances I felt were kind of revealing of maybe who, who he is at the core. Mm. I think Johnson has come off differently in the runoff election in particular where he's also seen him, you know, go on the attack a little bit more. Yeah. And he, I think that's been re- really different from how we saw him in the general election where it seemed like he was the one on the, getting all the attacks. He was trying to stay above the fray, really focus on his big, bold, you know, you know, vision for a new Chicago. And I think we've seen that kind of shift where he's, you know, really digging into Vallis on these things. And it seems sometimes in debates, you know, it feels like he avoids answering the question by just going on the attack instead. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Mariah, let's let's talk about Vallis. Um, he, he's got some interesting things that I didn't necessarily know, um, you know, kind of as a, a newer transplant. Um, yeah. How how do people see Vallis, how he acts, how he seems?
2: So there's really like two sides of of Valis. One yeah. is this accessible, super nice guy. And you know, when I say two sides, I think like the things I'm about to describe one person can contain all of these sure, characteristics, sure, sure. you know, they're not necessarily conflicting, but he is an accessible, very friendly guy. Like you said, he's, you know, I followed him at an event and he's giving his cell phone out to people. He's saying, text me, this is the number I've had for years. I'm going to have it when I'm on the fifth floor. Um, you know, he's a type of person who, if you tell him an individual problem that you have, he's going to see that and he's going to try to fix it. Um, you know, and again, building into this reputation that he's, he's a problem solver. Um, Mm. He's also someone with a temper And um, you know This is not something he's shy about I first kind of It perked my ears Um A few weeks back when he was talking about the most influential person in his life and he was talking about his mom and he said, you know, my mom was amazing. She dealt with a lot or she is amazing. She's dealt with a lot. I was a child and I when I was a child, I had a lot of temper tantrums. I was a bad student um, and she and he was like, and I still have temper tantrums now. They're just behind closed doors. Mm. That was kind of the first I had heard him talk about it. And so you start asking around and this is something that he's known for is is having Having a temper, one of the um, parents from New Orleans who I spoke to who would meet with Vallis regularly to advocate for a school in her neighborhood said she's seen him throw temper tantrums. He has the temperament of a two-year-old when he doesn't get what he wants, You know, slamming things on desks, those sorts of things. Um, and he kind of talks about it in a way where he's passionate about the issues that he cares about. Here, here he is talking in an interview with us. You don't see me behind the scenes, but I have an intensity when it comes to issues that I'm advocating for or things that I'm trying to do and I don't get the response that I expect. But it's not the type of anger that does damage. It's the type of anger that reflects frustration, but then it's forgotten and you move on. So right, yeah, I mean, right there, he's claiming that he's not a punitive person. Mm. He's he's saying, you know, yeah, I get angry, but I'm not going to hold it against people. And I think that's where... One, we don't know if if that's true. Um, but two, I think that that is a key thing, right? Like, distinction are you, to me. Yeah, it's a key yeah. distinction. Like, are are you getting mad and, and no one wants to be screamed at or yelled at? I mean, you can make your decisions about about how you feel about having a public official who like has has a temper. Um, some people maybe might see that as a good thing. Some people might not like it. It might be more acceptable for certain public officials. It might be others. relatable. Yeah, and it might be relatable. But yeah, I think the distinction he's trying to make there is that he is not a vindictive or a punitive person when he is angry, and that's how kind he kind of explains his temper. Mm-hmm.
1: So this election, um, it, it's it's been quite different from a lot of elections. I mean, we're coming off of the first openly lesbian, first black female mayor of the city of Chicago. And now we're faced with these two candidates who again are seeming polar opposites, right? I mean it's it's the war of the unions, it's the war of the two separate, you know, democrat democrat and republican democrat. What does that mean? What does that what do you feel like that's saying about the current state of of what Chicagoans are really wanting for leadership right now?
2: Yeah, I think like the juxtaposition couldn't Kind of be greater in terms of what Chicagoans have had to choose from. You know, it's a hugely Democratic city, and so we're always choosing from Democratic candidates, and these two. Um, are arguably on opposite ends of the democratic uh, political spectrum. And I think like nothing kind of speaks to that more than one, their positions on schools, which we've kind of talked about, but also their position on crime, Um, you know, where you have Vallis talking about kind of flooding the streets with police officers. You know, he wants to bring back um, more than a thousand police officers, get more police on the streets a strategy that hasn't worked for every community in Chicago and has actually been harmful at times to certain demographics Mm. in the city. And then you have Johnson, who wants to invest in root causes of violence, and both of them kind of crossover a little bit on each of those plans with Johnson wanting to hire more detectives, Paul Vallis wanting to address some root causes. Yeah. Um, but so you kind of have Chicago at this crossroads of a more traditional approach to some of the city's largest problems and a more um, you know progressive approach. And I think Chicagoans do have a choice to make. I think Brandon Johnson would be one of the city's most progressive mayors in history that it, that it's had. Or you, you choose from a more traditional candidate with who's backed by the business community and who's backed by many people who have supported previous mayors like the Dailies, like even
1: Mayor Light, Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg are both city politics and government reporters here at WBEC. Mariah, Tessa, thank you for joining. Thanks for having
2: us. Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: You can find extended profiles by today's guests on Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis at WBEZ.org. And coming up Thursday, March 30th, WBEZ, the Sun-Times and the University of Chicago Institute of Politics are hosting both candidates for one final mayoral forum. You can listen live on the radio, 91.5 FM, or watch it at WBEZ.org. Or if you want to go in person, it's going to be at the Logan Center, which is at the University of Chicago. The forum starts at 6 p.m. And that's it for the rundown today. Thank you to Justin Bull for producing the show and Ariel Van Clee for editing. Dave Miska engineered today's episode and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning.